whether it's academia, the entertainment industry, the media, religion, or politics, we will confront the secular left in all its forms here at Culture Wars. Coming up on today's episode of Culture Wars, the Marxists wage war on our society and our way of life, trying to destroy that's all coming up next on Culture Wars. Okay, to start off with, I'm just going to give you guys a little overview. So, I believe we're in the culmination of a war that Marxists have been waging under the surface. It's been raging for years now. Let me explain what I mean in a little more detail. So, I've been thinking for years that if we continue on our current trajectory that we're on in this country, our country, or at least the America that we know and love, will die. It will cease to exist. And that time is drawing near. I'm not sure if it's not already too late. I'm going to be reading some article headlines just to give you guys an example of what I'm talking about. Okay, so this first article is from The Federalist. It says, Supreme Court, it's about the Supreme Court, and it says, Treat men and women as interchangeable or get sued into oblivion. The Supreme Court effectively just told America that they must consider men women and women men in the workplace. This will not end well. So, the article says that in a decision on June 15th, the Supreme Court rewrote Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. While Title VII prohibits discrimination in employment because of an individual's sex, the majority held an opinion authored by Justice Neil Gorsuch that an employer who fires an individual merely for being gay or transgender defies the law. The judicial usurpation of the legislature's role, however, was but half the horror of the Supreme Court's decision. And I agree with them here. The Federalist is right. That that worry about separation of powers and that justices shouldn't be legislating from the bench, that's only half the problem. In fact, that backstabber Kavanaugh that we fought so hard to get confirmed to the Supreme Court, he stabbed us in the back on this decision, as they always do, because... This was his only reason for dissenting. He said that the legislature should have passed this decision, not the courts. And he's darn right about that, but that ain't the only problem here. Don't even get me started. And one more thing. I know, this is a big no-no to say nowadays, but you know what? I don't care. I'm saying it. I have a problem with the way this law was written in the first place. Even before you get to all the LGBTQ crap, this stinking Title Seven says that you're not allowed to discriminate against people in the workplace based on sex. Well, you know what? Why is discrimination always a bad thing nowadays? You know, discrimination is not always bad. 
That's something we used to know. It used to be called choice. Anyways, moving right along. I've got another article here from The Federalist. Again. And this one's also about the court. It's about John Roberts. The Honorable Chief Justice. The title of this article is Seven Times John Roberts Was a Leftist Hack. John Roberts is a politician, a politician who consistently makes laws, inconsistently applies the Constitution, and can't be voted out of office. I just gotta say, I love that title. It perfectly describes John Roberts. Okay, so the article starts off like this. Knock knock, who's there? Unelected leftist politicians in robes with lifetime tenure. Turns out the Supreme Court is a joke, and the punchline is Chief Justice John Roberts. Two high court decisions this week brought that reality into focus. When George W. Bush appointed chief, sided with leftist justices to say sexual orientation is sex, and that the current commander-in-chief can't undo unlawful executive action from past president because of his reasons. Oh, by the way, that's another thing. We'll get to George Bush later in the program. Okay, I'm not going to read this whole article, but I'm going to just go over a couple of the decisions that they highlight just to show you how, how terrible Chief Justice John Roberts is. I'm just going to read these decisions that they list, and then I'm going to comment on them in my own words. So, the first one says, supported unconstitutional Obamacare. How, how could we conservatives ever forget this one? He basically, he basically handed a huge chunk of our economy over to the Marxists. And with the current crop of Republicans that we have nowadays, the backstabbers, I don't think we'll ever get that chunk of our economy back. It's been sucked forever into that dark abyss that we call our federal government. <sighs> Number two is upheld unlawful DACA because reasons. Look, here's the thing about this DACA decision. I don't even care what your beliefs are on this issue. My problem with this is that, once again, John Roberts and the Supreme Court decide that Trump can't even end a unconstitutional policy of the Obama administration. The Obama administration never even had the constitutional authority to, for this policy in the first place. Now all the Trump administration is trying to do is end it. Once again, a supposedly conservative justice just disregards the constitution blatantly. Look, I guess to sum up, if you honestly believe that the courts are gonna redirect us from this trajectory that we're on. If anything, they're just establishing it. 
Our side has been so worried about the courts for years. And what have the Marxists been doing? Here's a headline right here that will make the example I'm trying to make of what the Marxists have been doing while we're worried about the courts. Merriam-Webster, hold on, this is from The American Spectator. The title is Merriam-Webster to redefine racism to include systemic oppression. Upon petition, the American Dictionary has agreed to expand its definition. I'd say they're more like the un-American dictionary now. Can you believe this? This is freaking Orwellian. In Orwell's novel, 1984, one of the ideas was that if you can shape the language, you can shape people's beliefs. Look, this is why we are at where we are at today. The left is way more tactical than we are. We're so worried about who's on the courts, and I'm not saying we don't need our side on the courts, but what I'm saying is what the left has known for years is that if we don't win the hearts of people, the trajectory of this country is not going to change no matter who's on the bench. Look at the Marxists that are doing the majority of this rioting. What generation they're from? The millennials, my generation. Karl Marx in the Communist Manifesto said that his tenth measure for transforming a capitalist society into a communist one is free education for all children in public schools. See, this is why they want diversity in everything except thought, because communism is totalitarian. It is totalitarian, and in order for totalitarianism to work, diversity of thought is a roadblock. Okay, for this next segment, I want to discuss how we can fight this, and to do that, I want to read an article that I found a few years ago, and I want to read a large chunk of it. This article is from a website called Zero Hedge. And the title of the article is How to Stamp Out Cultural Marxism in a Single Generation. It says that cultural Marxists commonly designate arbitrary victim status to various classes, separating them from each other based on how oppressed they supposedly are. The less statistically prominent a particular group is, in any Western society, generally the more victim group status is afforded to them by social justice warriors. I have to pause for a second to make a comment. So this is what I was saying earlier about discrimination and the Title VII Civil Rights Act. Supposedly because women weren't represented in certain careers for years, Supposedly, it means they were oppressed. This is just such BS. Okay, skipping down a little bit below in the article. Finally, the erasure of free speech and thought is always the holy grail of cultural Marxists. But this is not always done through government power, at least not right away. Social, 
social justice cultists rely more on collective pressure and public shaming tactics to engineer an environment in which people feel compelled to self-censor rather than deal with the hailstorm of witch hunters and wagging fingers. This is what I just said. They don't want diversity of thought. Okay. Um, cultural Marxists need to constantly observe ever greater modes of oppression and inequality in order to justify their existence. The impositions on individual liberty will never end. What he's saying is, this is the problem. If the horror of racism were to ever go away, if we were ever to just decide as a country that racism largely isn't a problem anymore, then Marxists would not be able to transform our society because they need a boogeyman. For example, if we were all to just decide tomorrow that blacks have just as much opportunity in this country as whites do, which I believe they do, then Marxists couldn't justify all this crap that they're doing right now with race, like making white people bow to black people, or trying to pass affirmative action programs, or reparations, or whatever twisted programs they come up with. Okay, I'm reading the article again. And so here are my solutions, says the author, which must be enacted by individuals in their daily lives regardless of the potential backlash. Do you have leftist-leaning friends or family members? Doesn't matter. Are you employed in a workplace crawling with social justice warriors? Stop seeing them. They do not matter. Worried about losing your relationship if you take a stand? Say good riddance. This is what must be done by free thinkers if they are counted are to counter and reverse the collectivist nightmare of cultural Marxism. He's absolutely right. We need to start thinking that, like, during the time of the Revolutionary War, this is not politics as usual. We need to... It's time to break the emergency glass. It's time to say, give me liberty or give me death. Anyways, here are his solutions. 1. Feel no shame. Social justice relies on shaming tactics, usually by slandering an opponent with a label that does not really apply to him, in order to control his arguments and behavior. If you don't care about being called a bigot, a racist, a sexist, a misogynist, a homophobe, etc., etc., then there really is not much that they can do to you. I agree. This, you know what, this white privilege crap too, it's just like he says. All it's designed to do is to shut down debate. Solution number two, do not self-censor. This does not mean you should go out of your way to be antagonistic or act like an ass, but the thought police have power only if you give power to them. Say what you want to say when you want to say it, and do it with a smile. Cultural Marxists are generally weaklings. They avoid physical confrontation, like they avoid logic, so why fear them? Solution number three, Realize there's no such thing as white privilege. There, in reality, there's only privilege for victim status groups. When confronted with such claims of white privilege, demand to see 
proof of such privilege. Invariably, you will get a list, a long list of first world problems and complaints backed by nothing but easily debunked talking points and misrepresented statistics. People should not feel guilty for being born the way they are. He's right, that's classic misrepresented statistics. Solution number four. Demand facts to back claims. Cultural Marxists tend to argue on the basis of opinion rather than fact. Present facts to counter their claims and demand facts and evidence in return. Opinions are irrelevant if the person is not willing to present supporting facts when asked. This is another thing. I'm so sick and tired of this relativism. Truth is not relative, it's absolute. Relativism is another one of these liberal views that started like so many of them do in the universities. Anyways, solution number five. Do not play the game of unconscious bias. If social justice warriors can't counter your position with facts or logic, they will invariably turn to the old standby that you are limited in your insight because you have not lived in the shoes of a insert victim group here. I agree. In fact, I would point out that this reality of limited perception also applies to them as well. They have not lived in my shoes, therefore they are in no position to claim I enjoy privilege white while they do not. This is why facts and evidence are so important and why anecdotal evidence and personal feelings are irrelevant where cultural Marxism is concerned. I have to point out a little area of disagreement with the author on that one. I think that this idea that your perception or perspective limits your ability to know certain truth, I don't buy that. That's a form of soft relativism. Number six, let cultural Marxists know their fears and feelings do not matter. No one is, is entitled to have their feelings addressed by others, and another person's fears are ultimately unimportant. Whether the issue is um, how cultural Marxists feel over private gun ownership, their rational fears are not our concern. Why should any individual relinquish his liberties in the name of placating frightened nobodies? Once again, this author makes a great point. This, yeah, this idea of always having to validate people's feelings is BS. It's just BS. We've allowed feelings to become a god in this culture. An idol. And, you know, sometimes our feelings are dead wrong. And you know what? Jeremiah says in the book of Jeremiah he says the heart is deceitful above all else solution seven demand that society respect your individual your inherent individual rights collectivism's ultimate propaganda message is that there's no such thing as inherent rights or liberties and that all rights are arbitrary and subject to the whims of the group or the state this is false. I've written extensively in the past on inherent rights. Um, okay, I'm going to skip a little bit. Uh, freedom is an inborn conception with universally understood aspects. Period. No group or collective is more important than individual liberty. No artificial society 
has preeminence over the individuals within that society. As long as a person is not directly impeding the life, liberty, prosperity, and privacy of another person, he should be left alone. Okay, just a quick note. I'm, I'm sorry, I know this is a long article, but I have to keep, and I have to keep commenting on it, but it's just so great. I love this article. And he's right, again. Man has had free will since the Garden of Eden. He's had freedom. And it's ultimately man that's going to be responsible as an individual before God. I'm going to be responsible for my deeds that I did in this life, just like you are. I'm going to skip a couple of these, just because in the interest of time. So, the next one. Deny the illusion of utopian equality. There is no such thing as pure equality. Society is not homogenous, a homogenous entity. It is an abstraction built around a group of unique individuals. Individuals can be naturally gifted or naturally challenged, but there will always be some people who are more apt toward success than others. I have no problem whatsoever with the idea of equality of opportunity, which is exactly what we have in this country. I do have a problem with the lie of universal equality through engineered means. Standards of success should not be lowered in order to accommodate the least skilled people to facilitate artificial parity. For example, I constantly hear the argument that more people with victim group status should be given greater representation in positions of influ influence and regard within our culture. From science and engineering, to media, to business CEOs, to politics, etc., etc. The keyword here is given rather than earned. There is nothing wrong with one group of people excelling in a field more than another group, and there is nothing wrong with inequality when it comes to individual achievement. We must begin refusing to reward people for mediocrity and punishing success simply because the winners are not part of a designated victim group. The only thing I would add to what he said is that I think we've become way too entitled in our society. Way too entitled, all of us. Like, seriously. Like, I'm not entitled to have everything equally like everybody else. That kind of thinking is just covetousness. If you want something, go out and earn it. Truthfully, we don't deserve everything. In fact, you know what? I'm gonna say this. The only thing we really deserve is hellfire. By the grace of God, he gave us the gift of his son to die in our place and to take that wrath. Okay, sermon over. Anyways, the last solution I'm gonna read is homeschool your children. It's simple. If you don't want your kids propagandized, if you truly want them to be free from collectivist conditioning, then you will make the sacrifice and extract them from public schooling. With the introduction of Common Core into U.S. schools in particular, there is no other recourse but homeschooling to prevent brainwashing of cultural Marxism. If you do not do this, you are relying on the hope that your children will escape with their critical thinking abilities intact. Some do, some don't. Others turn to mindless social justice warriors. You can give them an advantage by removing them from a poisonous environment, and that is what matters. Okay, let's give the liberals a little break, and let's do a little bit of, uh, shall we say, examining our own side. 
in a little segment that I like to call Friendly Fire. So, as promised, we're going to discuss George W. Bush. Um, I have two articles here from the Daily Wire, and I don't know how much I'm going to read of them, but let's get into it, and I'll just make comments as I'm reading. So, the title of this article is Bush to Fundraise on Behalf of Four Senators Facing Competitive Elections. Former President George W. Bush plans to headline a fundraiser later this month on behalf of Senators Martha McSally, Cory Gardner, Tom Tillis, and Susan Collins, four incumbents who have found themselves in highly competitive Senate races. Susan Collins, what? Susan Collins should just put a D in front of her name and just turn parties on us. She's that much of a liberal hack. Bush's decision to headline a fundraiser comes as he's been seemingly taking a more active role in public life compared to his relative silence after leaving office. In the last few months, the former president has addressed the nation about coronavirus in a video message encouraging compassion and unity and spoken out against systemic racism after the death of George Floyd. So let's get something straight here before I read any more. George Bush, remember how all the talk of him being so honorable, oh he's so honorable for being silent for eight years while the Obama administration gutted the Constitution, and now that we actually have a president in there for once in our lifetimes that is actually trying to reestablish the Constitution, George Bush comes out and campaigns against us and starts jabbing us in the back. Anyways, carrying on, it remains a shocking failure that many Americans, especially young African American men, are harassed and threatened in their own country. It is a strength when protesters protected by responsible law enforcement march for a better future, said the former president. Bush also added, this tragedy is a long series of similar tragedies raises a long overdue question. How do we end systemic racism in our society? The only way to see ourselves in a true light is to listen to them. Voices of so many who are hurting and grieving. Those who set out to silence those voices do not understand the meaning of America or how it becomes a better place. You know, you know, it's like, I almost feel like George Bush is just glad with the trajectory that our country is on. Anyways, that's enough of that article. Okay, for this next article, I'm just going to read a small chunk of it. And, uh, just so I can get my, uh, thoughts on it, you know. So it says, Pull, how do Americans feel now about changing military base names, reparations, and chokeholds? A new M ABC News poll released Friday found that a majority of Americans opposed the idea of renaming U.S. military bases named after Confederate leaders. A vast majority still opposed paying reparations to descendants of slaves, and a strong majority support banning 
place use of chokeholds. First, a minor point. Chokeholds are actually used in self-defense um, martial arts, and they're actually one of the safer ways to um, subdue someone that's a danger to themselves and others. But second, and probably more um, important, is I need to ask a question. With the way that the Republicans are signing in, trying to sign into law all this new police reform policy, what are we doing here? Are we just shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic? I mean, really. Friggin' Western civilization is burning, torn down, and what are we doing? And here's the thing, I'm not even saying that policing doesn't need to be reformed. It kind There are some areas where we could reform policing, but my point is, why does the federal government have to do everything? Why can't states and localities do this for their own police departments? Instead, now it's like the federal government has to get its vile hands all over everything. Okay, so for this next segment, I'm just going to read some more headlines that I didn't get to just to conclude the show. The first one um, is another article from The Federalist. Six more reasons to cancel Looney Tunes besides Elmer Fudd's gun. It's not just the guns. Almost every aspect of the cartoon series means it deserves to be canceled. Okay, so I'm not even going to get into this article. I just wanted to talk about the this um, remake of the classic cartoon Looney Tunes. So apparently now they had to remove Elmer Fudd's gun because, you know, guns are bad. Oh my gosh, those horrible gun owners. But anyways, but okay, here's the really hilarious part of this. They replaced it with a scythe. I mean, this is just getting to be too much. So, you are telling me that a scythe is better than a gun? It's somehow less violent or something? I don't know. I don't know how these liberals think. It's just more cultural erosion. Okay, so this next article from The Federalist, the title is Corporate America's Strategy of Mob Appeasement will destroy it, just as it always has. I do not... I don't know why corporate America is just bowing down to all this. And another thing, during the coronavirus pandemic, that stinking joke that it was, I got so sick of all these emails and statements from all these companies on what they're doing for the pandemic and now what they're doing on racism and supporting Black Lives Matter. I am so sick and tired of all this groupthink where you can't have 
any diversity of thought, everybody just automatically bows down to whatever the liberal fad of the week is, and you've just got to think the way that they tell you to think. It's like I said earlier, give me liberty or give me death. I'm going to play a clip here of the CEO of Chick-fil-A discussing racism. And uh, so any expressions of a contrite heart, of a sense of humility, a sense of shame, a sense of embarrassment, uh, begin with an apologetic heart. I think that's what our world needs to I'm hear. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just can't. I can't. I can't even. I, I can't even express what I want to say here. I just, I, I can't. I'm going to play for you a clip of this apparently idiotic senator, Tim Kaine. I'll comment afterwards. Yeah. The United States didn't inherit slavery from anybody. We created it. It got created by the Virginia General Assembly and the legislatures of other states. It got created by the court systems in colonial America and sense that enforced fusion slave laws. It was, we created it. And we created it and maintained it over centuries. You hear that, folks? So, we, America, who's only been a country for maybe a little over 200 years, we invented slavery. We invented it. Sheesh. Has this guy ever opened up a Bible? Doesn't he know that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 400 years? And that was, that was thousands of years before we were even a country. <sighs> Idiots. I have to conclude on this article from the Daily Wire because I live in Michigan and the title says Michigan's Whitmer warns opponents limiting my power is irresponsible, dangerous, foolish. On Wednesday, Democratic Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who has been widely criticized for the draconian policies she enacted during the coronavirus crisis, circled the wagons against members of the Michigan legislature, as well as citizens who had created petitions to limit her power, calling such movements irresponsible, dangerous, and foolish. So, say this. What's dangerous is not limiting your power, Whitmer. We get down into more detail on this in another show, but because we're running out of time right now, I'll just say this. Whitmer, you wicked witch of the left, you expect us to believe anything you say on coronavirus? When we went out and exercised our right to protest, your infringement on our liberties, you called us a bunch of racists and misogynists. Then you go out and protest with those people that are trying to 
burn down our way of life. You wicked witch of the left. Anyways. <laughs>